Well, church, thank you for letting me be here with you this morning. And uh, as we open up God's Word, go ahead and have your Bible open to the book of Luke. We're going to walk through this passage together. Uh, We will actually start all the way back in the beginning of chapter 8 and walk through this together to see who Jesus is and why Luke is writing to us this way. Uh, My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would speak through his word and convict us where we need conviction and to comfort us where we need comfort. Um, Thank you for letting us be here. This is my wife, Savannah. We've been married for 14 years. We've been in ministry together for about 15, and we have our four children with us this morning, uh, Grace, uh, Maya, Witt, and Eli. And thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and and break them open, turn them on, whatever you do. Uh, We're going to jump right into the text this morning. And what Luke, I believe, is trying to teach us this morning, at least one facet of this, is that Jesus has all authority. We see that from Colossians that we've already read. If you go back to verse 16, for by him, that is Jesus, all things were made, all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible. And we will see that God has control over what is visible, what we can see and interact with, and the invisible, what we can't see but still interact with. And uh, we'll take a look at that. But as we get started, I just want to take some context here. If you go back to the very beginning of the chapter, you'll see who was with Jesus and doing some ministry with him. We see the 12, and he names three ladies that were there to, to support Jesus, among some others that weren't named. And then we come to the parable of the sower. Now, many of us know this, but if you're a, a new believer today, let me just kind of break this down for us. The farmer goes out to sow the seed, And this is uh, applicable to our message today, so don't tune me out quite yet. Because as the farmer goes out to sow the seed, he sows it as he goes along, right? He sows it on the hard ground. If you remember it, say it with me. What what was some of the other areas that he sowed in? The, The seed fell on the hard path, the, the gravel. It also fell among the thorns. And then the best part, the good soil. And it wasn't the farmer's job to look for the correct soil to sow the seed. It was the farmer's job to spread the seed, right? And so as we take this text, we'll apply it today in, in the end of Luke because that's exactly what Jesus is telling this man to do. And then Luke continues to write, and he says, hey, here's a, here's a light. What do you do with a light? If I, I, if I have my desk lamp, I don't turn it on and put it underneath my desk, right? I set it on top of the desk. If you were in a Palestinian home that day, you could have lit probably one candle to light the entire house. So the implication is that we are to be light to those around us. He's continuing the theme to share the gospel to those around us, even when those closest to us don't get it and even don't agree. We see a short little blip there from 19 to 21. And then we get into verse 22. Now we're going to slow down here just for a second. And we're going to see that Jesus has all authority over nature. In, in verse 22, the Bible tells us that in the day, on that day, or excuse me, one day, he got into a boat with his disciples, that's Jesus, and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. 
So they set out, and as they set sail, he fell asleep. Now, as you read the book of uh, Luke, if you go to the Gospels, the, the Sea of Galilee was central to the ministry, right? If you wanted to go across the Sea of Galilee, it was much faster to get to where you're going instead of driving all the way around. Like 485 wasn't built yet, and you know it was a lot slower to walk <laughs> all the way up to 77, go all the way. So you, you get the point. So they would hop in the boat, and as they set sail, a storm comes over the mountain and drops down. Now, one of my mentors studied there in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and he said, as you sit there and you look out over the Sea of Galilee, a storm could come up over the mountain and drop, literally drop down off and churn up the sea within a matter of like 10 to 15 minutes. You're not like waiting for the clouds to roll in an hour, hour and a half goes by. It could happen pretty quick. So if you're in the middle, you don't have a chance to get to the other side before it hits you. Well, Jesus had already recruited like three good salesmen or sailors, excuse me. So they knew what to do on the lake. Well, even then, those guys went from a state of fear to panic while Jesus was asleep. And this is not uncommon, if you will. If just think with me just for a second, if you will allow me to tell a short story. We were off the coast of North Carolina. We were on a dive boat, because I love scuba diving. That's a part of my DNA. And uh, we were about 11 miles out. And when you go scuba diving, there's like, there's no fast way around it. Like you go and you just sit. And as you sit, the boat just rocks right? There's no relief. And if any of you suffer, can you just like wave your hand at me if you suffer from motion sickness? Like you can't, you got to be in the front seat of the car, roll the window down. Like, so I'm on the boat and I just, it hits me and there's no relief guys. So I'm, I'm laying there on the top deck and all I could do was close my eyes and rest. And I'm picturing Jesus laying on the boat. He's probably worn out and he's like, okay, I just, give me a minute guys. And so the rock, the rocking from the boat doesn't bother him. The spray of the sea coming up over, it, I'm, I'm used to it, it's good, I would rather just lay right here. And then fear goes to panic, and the guys come up to Jesus, and they're like, wake up, we're gonna die. So from here, Jesus stands up and does what? He speaks and says, hey, hey, stop. And the wind bows down. And he speaks to the waves, He says, stop, cease, and the waves stop. And we see that Jesus has control over all nature. Just by his words, it ceases. And if the wind and the waves had ears, they would remember the voice of the creator we've already seen in Colossians, and they bowed down and said, okay, we'll stop. And they cease. We see the next verse coming in here uh, in verse 26 after that passage and we see Jesus getting back on a boat heading across the sea. At that moment, before they hit land, Jesus says something to his disciples, something that like rings true through our minds day after day. He says, where is your faith? And he was asking them a question he was getting ready to answer multiple times. And we see in verse 26, as they get back into the boat and they head over to the other side, they're going to a mainly a Gentile area. And excuse me just for a moment, but in our culture today, he was breaking all of those boundaries. 
He was a Jewish man, a Jewish teacher in that area. You didn't go talk to the Gentiles. Those were the non-Jewish people or the Samaritans, which we also see him do. He crosses all of those. He breaks them all. He's going to a predominantly uh, uh, Gentile area where no Jews would have been most likely, or if they were, not in this area, and he's going to do ministry. He's got a divine appointment, and he's heading out, and that tells us a little bit of something about Jesus' character, who he is, and what he expects us to do. And guys, I, I get super excited. We're getting into verse 27, and Jesus steps out onto the land, and there met him a man from the city who had demons, okay? Keep going, and now you'll see if you're reading with me in your Bible, go ahead and have it open with you. Uh, I, will, I will overlay the book of Mark this morning. So if you see me kind of jump out of the text for just a second, we're actually, uh, uh, inserting a, a piece of Mark into this because Mark gives us about 20 verses on this one particular event, historical event. So here we are, he gets to the shore, he gets out, and for a long time, he, this man who had been possessed by demons, had worn no clothes, which was not, uh, was, which was not acceptable in the Jewish, Jewish culture. He had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in the house, but among the tombs, he made his home. And when he saw Jesus, the book of Mark actually gives us a little bit more here. He says, when he saw Jesus, and he saw him from afar off, or a distance, he ran and fell down. He cried out with a loud voice, or he fell down before Jesus. I want you to see just really quick. Not only do the wind and the waves obey him, but the demons obey him. We'll see a little bit more about who this guy is uh, as we keep reading. He cries out with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So he knew exactly who Jesus was. And from here, he says, I beg you, do not torment me. We'll talk about that in just a second. For he had seized, excuse me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Luke is kind of going back and forth here. He's saying this is what's happening and right before this, here's what happened. He's giving like a, a backstory, if you will. So the demons have already cried out, what have you to do with me? Why are you here? Because Jesus had just commanded them, come out of this man. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out. For, it, for at many times, this unclean spirit, this demon had seized this man, seized meaning to force, to carry away against one's will, had seized him, and even when this guy was kept under chains, like shackles, uh, handcuffs, he would break the chains and be driven by the demons into the wilderness. We see that very man who couldn't be guarded, who couldn't be kept back, run to this guy and bow down. Are, are you with me here? Like the, the, the Roman army at that time like decimated everything else and even they could not hold this man back and yet he comes running to the feet of this guy called Jesus and bows down. Now we don't, we don't get that in our culture because we don't bow in our culture? Like, 
But if you, if you think back maybe to movies that you've seen that were like in an Eastern setting, you realize that the, the bow was a sign of respect or homage or humility. So we see a guy who couldn't be chained bowing before this guy named Jesus because he has not only authority over all nature, because he has authority over all the spiritual. We even see something here that I, I think is, is pretty amazing. Uh, we'll get to it in just a second, but he, he says, what is your name? Uh, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just back up just a little bit. Uh, but he commanded this demon to come out of him, and this guy would be spending night and day among the tombs, and in the mountains he would be crying out, cutting himself with stones. He was in torture. And the demons come to him and say, please, please, don't send us to the abyss, this place of torment they knew they would get. They knew this was coming, and they knew who Jesus was, and they beg him, please don't send us there yet. It's not, the, it's not time yet, is it? And Jesus, and Jesus actually gives them permission. The demons knew who he was, they knew his authority, they knew who was getting out of the boat, coming ashore, and they run and they bow down out of fear, not out of faith. Can you say the word fear with me right now? Just say fear. And now say the word faith. Our decisions are going to hinge right now on our response. Are we going to respond in fear or are we going to respond in faith? Now, in each of these situations, uh, the demons are right now responding in fear because they knew who they were speaking to, they knew his authority, and Jesus asks them, what is your name? And so, in my quiet time, and, and as I was preparing, I stopped and I said, well, why is that significant? And I believe Colossians helps us to see this because Jesus knew their name. And when you tell somebody your name, you're just admitting to them, this is who I am, and if they've seen your circumstances, you're just saying, this is what I've done. And Jesus is saying, just tell me your name. I know who you are. But instead of saying their name, almost as a form of confession, what do they do? They back up and they say, no, 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 our name is army. We are so many, nobody can defeat us. Legion would have been a, a Roman term, a military term, that meant to up to about 6,000. Don't get sidetracked on the number, though, because the point is that Jesus, with one word, says, you need to leave, and they have to obey. It didn't matter how, how big the waves got or the wind or how many demons there were. Jesus still had authority over it all, and by the sound of his voice, he could say, go away and they would have to leave. They even begged him not to send them to their place of eternal torment. So Jesus says, what is your name? They say, army, and they beg not to be sent into their place of torture. But they did say, now, there's these pigs over here. The Bible tells us in verse 32, now there was a large herd of pigs that was feeding over on the hillside. Mark gives us a little bit closer to the number. He says there was about 2,000 of them, so a whole lot of them. And just for reference here, no Jews would ever touch a pig. Like bacon was off limits, unfortunately, right? No like Christmas ham, that was just, you couldn't do it. 
So we're seeing Jesus in a, in a, in a context that was Gentile driven, uh, which again is telling us a little bit more about his character and how our character should reflect his. And are there things that we've harbored in our heart and mind that say, oh, I, I don't like you because you are blank, fill in the blank. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm gonna cross those cultural boundaries. I'm, I'm going to step across those lines and I expect you to follow me in doing so. And so here he, here he has him and his disciples. They cross those bar- barriers. They, they step ashore. The demons bow down before him. We go to verse 36, and here's what the Bible says. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. So these herdsmen had ran back into town and started telling everybody else, this is what's going on. And here's what the Bible tells us. When the herdsmen saw it and, and, and all that had happened, they fled into the city and into the country and the people went out to see what had happened, right? You didn't have your phone. You're like, oh, dude, I gotta take a picture of it. So what did you do? It took a long time to carry out the social, not so media. And they were going out through the countryside. They were bringing people back to say, hey, check this out. Not only did we lose our entire livelihood, but that guy, you remember that guy? Everybody knows about this guy. That's him. They came to Jesus and they found the man who had been demon-possessed. The demons had gone and they were sitting And he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And not only that, he was clothed, thankfully, and in his right mind. And their response was fear. The Bible tells us here something about what the crowd was doing. They see Jesus and they're afraid. Why? Because the guy could do whatever he wanted. Nobody could hold him back. He could break the chains if he needed to. And... The entire livelihood of the the herdsman was now gone. What would happen if Jesus stepped into town? Something's gonna happen. And guys, I just wanna stop and I wanna urge you, coming to Jesus means leaving behind what you have. I think their fear in one place was legitimate because if Jesus stepped in town, he would expect change, and that's exactly what he deserves. So when we accept Jesus into our lives, he expects change. He says, come as you are, I will clean you up. Follow me. And guys, I just want want to say that clearly right now because it, it costs us everything, but let me be very clear salvation is a free gift that we cannot earn and do not deserve but jesus clearly says throughout the gospels follow me and so here we have the people responding in fear and instead of embracing jesus with faith they say please leave And so I wanna ask you, will you obey his voice? He has authority over the visible, the invisible, and he has authority over you. So we see the guys, we see this guy on a boat, and I wanna speak 
carefully here, but we see this guy on a boat named Jesus who can calm the storm. We see this guy getting out on shore. He's our God, he's our Lord, he steps in, and this guy that nobody can restrain bows down before him, begging him, please don't torture me. And then he says, all right, here's what I expect you to do. And the demons go out into the pigs, I urge you guys, uh, church family, if you're in this situation and Jesus is saying, <clears throat> I want you to do something for me. Here's your next step of faith. Are you going to embrace Jesus by faith and take that step or are you going to say, no, 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 no. I, I'm too afraid, please go away. Here in verse 36, we see that after this demon-possessed man had been healed, the people saw this, they were coming from around the area, they said to him, depart, please, just, just go away, because they were so afraid. And so, what does Jesus do? He gets back in the boat, and he returns. And the man from whom the, the demons had been cast out was begging Jesus, please, please, I want to go with you, please let me come. And Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home, go back to your friends and declare how much God has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And the Bible tells us exactly what he did. He went away proclaiming. And church family, the very simple message from Luke is the very same message to us. Jesus is saying, go back to your homes Go back to your friends, go back to the places that you work and tell them with your own mouths what I've done for you. And just stop for a minute and think, what has Jesus Christ done for you and for me? Well, to start with, we know he's the creator. We know that the Bible tells us that we've all fallen short of God's glory. We need his forgiveness because we are all sinners and we will all perish without his grace and go to a real place called hell. But Jesus says, I love you, and I gave you these, these rules to keep you safe, but you broke my rules, so here's what I did. I came down to earth, never having done anything wrong, never knowing sin, but became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God, and he died on a cross for us, being buried three days later, rising again from the dead. And he says, I love you, follow me. And for us today that aren't believers in Jesus Christ, maybe you're still searching or maybe you're sitting there or watching and you're saying, you know what, I know all this, but you have an academic knowledge of this and you stand right here, never embracing Jesus by faith, which is what he tells us to do. And you act more like the crowd and the city and you say, no, 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 I can't do this, please go away, when Jesus is saying, accept me. I love you, follow me. Or perhaps you're, you're a believer right now, you're a part of this church family, and you're responding out of fear. The Bible tells us that he's made things for us to do, he's prepared the way, and it's our job just to take the next step of faith. In the book of Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, he's like, I've got these things prepared for you. You are my masterpiece, just walk in them. Take the next step of faith. And perhaps, perhaps you're, you're wondering, like, what is God's 
plan. Like, what does that next step of faith look like? That comes with our time with him. And as you spend time with him, and, and maybe you go and say, Pastor Chad, this is what I'm dealing with. I don't know. What, what do I do? Go and seek counsel. Say, say, Lord, please share with me what is the step of faith that you're asking me to take? But perhaps you already know it. And it's, this, this, it's, it's sitting there in the back of your mind, but you might be resisting it because you're afraid of what might happen. You're afraid that your life might be changed completely. You're, you're afraid that it's gonna cost you everything. And as you deal with the circumstances of COVID and you are in the middle of this beautiful area, what does Grace Covenant look like as a farmer going out to sow seed? What does Grace Covenant look like as a light in this community? In a time where none of us thought this was gonna happen. Six months ago, we're like, eh, life is normal. And then everything gets flipped upside down. It doesn't matter if you're in Charlotte or you're on the other side of the world. Everybody's fixing it. And it's our job to take the next step of faith and to communicate the gospel. As we wrap up this morning, I just wanna, I just wanna go back to that text and then we're gonna respond in worship. As we go back to that text, I just want you to see something. What does he say? What does he say to the crowd? The crowd asks him, please leave. And what does he say? Yes. The demons ask him, hey, please don't send us to the abyss. And what does he say? Yes, go. And then the, the, the man that was demon-possessed, the man who, who had just been healed was begging Jesus. We know that he knows Jesus is the Son of God. He, we, we see him begging, please, let me come with you. What does Jesus say? No. You stay right here, and you go home, and you tell everyone around you how much I love you and what I've done for you so that they might believe in me. And too many of us, too many of us sit in our bubbles saying, this is my circle and this is all I need. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to go back and you need to tell those around you and the ones you love how much I love you and what I've done for you. You are to sow the seed. Many years ago, church family, two guys that are sitting in this very room have experienced this, they just didn't even know it. And, and I make a, a small confession to you today. I was on staff and we were preaching through what we believed the word of God to say for our church family where I serve. And I was given the text to be able to preach on evangelism. And I was like, oh, great. This, like, like, how do you do outreach? And I was like, oh. And I, and I confess that I opened my Bible and I started looking for events in Scripture. Church family, I want you to grab a hold of this idea and I, and I pray it burns deep into your heart and mind. I started looking for an event in Scripture. And I even talked to one of the men in this room and I said, listen, 
I don't find it. What do you think the answer is? Now, I had already come to my place of confession at that point and realized how wrong I was, and he said, it's evangelism. I said, I agree 100%. And sitting in that fireside room that day, it was clear in my mind how I was looking for an event to proclaim Jesus to others, and it wasn't me that was supposed to be communicating Jesus to others. And after confessing my sin and and pouring through scripture, I I presented the gospel to our church family as clearly as I knew how, as clearly as I could from the text, so that none of us could be so foolish to say that we're gonna lead people to the Lord by asking them to come to church or doing some sort of event. Yes, I knew I was supposed to share my faith, but that that was just one way. No, that's the way. We are to communicate who Jesus Christ is to those around us, and it's very clear in the text. Go home. You are not allowed to be by my side right now. You're gonna go home, and you're gonna tell everybody else who I am. You're gonna tell them I love them, no matter if they're hard ground, or they're rocky soil, or they're thorn bushes, or they're good soil. You do your best to share the light of the gospel. No matter if it's difficult, guys, in this very passage, Jesus' mother and brothers come and try to collect him. Some believe here that they're trying to pull him out of ministry so that he would stop being this lunatic. And he said, no, no, no. Those who are my family are the ones who do what I say, who follow God's word. And we come to this text and he calms the storm and he tells this guy who was filled with demons, no, no, go home. I love you. This is what I've done for you. Go tell everybody else. So as we respond in worship, and our our worship team, please come. I want you to ask yourself, I want you to ask the Lord to convict you if you're embracing fear instead of faith. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, let today be the day you embrace him by faith and not an academic knowledge. And go home and tell those around you who he is and what he's done. Let's, let's pray and then let's worship the Lord. Holy Spirit, as we come to you, Father, thank you so much for your grace. Holy Spirit, please convict us and teach us from your word. I thank you, Father, for your, your grace and your mercies. I thank you for giving us a passage that says you're Lord over the the things that are created that we could see and those that are invisible that we cannot see and you tell us, go and tell others about you. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and mercies. We love you, Lord, and we respond to you now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.